So the following was my conversation with Chris Lovett. He recently just published his very first book of all time, which is super exciting, and it was called Discovery of Less. And it is a book about minimalism, but it's a lot more than that. It is uh, a book that's kind of similar to something that I speak about here a lot, Via Negativa, the idea of addition by subtraction. You know, it's a large character arc story of Chris's life. And that's what we spoke about a lot in this podcast. Um, he's a terrific bloke. I think we had a lot in common. I, I find his story extremely relatable. And the story is quite inspiring for anyone out there who really wants to sort of take back ownership of their life. You know, it's the idea of him uh, leaving his work, um, deciding how he wants to live uh, and setting up his lifestyle around it. So go to his website. It's called lessisprogress.com. Uh, check out the book, The Discovery of Less, and all in all, just get around Chris. He's a terrific bloke, and I had a lot of fun recording this chat with him. So please enjoy Mr. Chris Lovett. All right, welcome, Chris Lovett. Thanks so much for giving me the time this morning. Pleasure, Ryan. Lovely to be with you. Cheers, mate. So you authored this uh, book about minimalism, uh, Disco The Discovery of Less, yeah. and I guess it's the best place to sort of start it off at. Um the description of the book says after living a life after living a lifetime of living in the comfort zone all right so there's a lot to minimalism obviously and um i i wanted to sort of see how the minimalism is connected into this idea of you living a life in the comfort zone are they connected at all yeah i mean so and thanks for having me on your show, Ryan. I really appreciate the, the time. Um, yeah, sorry, I've got to smoothen out these sort of like uh, landings a little bit better, but nonetheless. It's, it's great. It's no, good. Good. I love the way you put landing. Like we land, you know, we've just arrived into a new destination and we're landing in this <laughs> exactly. new, new tropical area. Yeah, comfort zone. It's dangerous, man. Really, really dangerous. Uh, it can keep you tethered to your decisions of the past, you know, whether they're you know, decisions about your career or about the things that you've bought or you know relationships or all these types of things keep you in a say a lukewarm life you know a solid six out of ten mm -hmm. and um it's like a big anchor so when i was talking about the comfort zone in, in discovery of less it was almost like a, a combination of my purchase habits my my spending habits my debt and the place that i was living which you know you know born and bred in south london and never moved Mm. Uh, I was tethered to to that area. I was tethered to a career that I'd fallen into, never planned. Sure, Ed, like some of us do, you know, you you wake up one day and you realise that actually the most exciting thing when you're seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old is go out going out drinking with your friends. But you need money <laughs> to mm -hmm. go out, so you get a job in a call centre, okay. and then in that, you know, you end up working for that same company for a number of years and. I got to a stage in life where all of these things were becoming very, I'd become very unfulfilled, mm -hmm. but I was so tethered to all of my life that I'd created or that had happened to me <laughs> that I had to break away. And the, the best way that I could do that was by decluttering. Sure. Um, and I found, I found myself selling off, you know, physical things that I'd surrounded myself with for years and years and years and years that had kind of created this identity for me, a bit of this safe person in a comfort zone. So even like things that we all have, like big DVD collections and mm -hmm. music collections and, um, and books that we bought and said to ourselves that we would read, but never did. <laughs> um, you know, all of this stuff 
plays on our mind and it keeps us where we are today. Okay. And then as I've kind of, as I sold all that stuff off, I felt a lot lighter and it was the ability to then design a life that I really wanted. So things like, oh, I wanted to travel, hence why we've connected. Um, mm-hmm. But I couldn't do that because I had so much crap left in my flat and I you know, didn't have any money. I was in loads of debt. And the thing you need when you go traveling is a bit, bit of money behind you. Mm-hmm. I didn't have, mm-hmm. didn't have any. So I had to reassess what was going on. And it was the clutter, the physical, digital, mental clutter in my career that had kept me from doing the things I wanted to do. So I had to let go of it. And mm-hmm. learning how to let go is all about um, having a minimalist mindset and embracing minimalism. And so, uh, so yeah, so I, I absorbed, I learned, I decluttered and became a minimalist. And, and now I've designed a life that I choose to take part in rather than a life that drags me along without cool. me making any decisions about it. What a, you know, what a, like, uh, fin- like, Personally, for you, what an empowering feeling to have, the idea that you have the ownership of your life. Um, And I do want to get into making a distinction between whether it was this um, moving away the clutter that almost gave the realization. But first, let's fill in some of the details of the sort of journey to realizing that. Um, So South London, you say, uh, what was the work that you did when you became an adult? So I was, it sounds really interesting, Ryan. So I was catching, I was catching bad guys behind a desk. It does sound interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So again, I just fumbled into it. I, um, Mm. I managed to land a job working, investigating fraud for, uh, for a financial services company. So funny. I have a mate who does exactly the same thing uh, in Amsterdam. Christy Colson, maybe you know him. (laughs) We might be connected. Who knows? Um, Go on. And um, yeah, it was it was one of those things that seemed really interesting, and it was. And uh, I just got into the, the you know, the, this is my career now. So mm-hmm. catching bad guys, my career, you know, it's it's quite fulfilling. But you get to a certain point where it becomes a little boring, and it becomes the same. And I thought that everything I wanted was to be a manager. I thought all I ever wanted was status and a label. Mm. Then I've made it. Became a manager and was like, is this it? Like, is, is this all? That... And I thought this can't be it now. And so, mm. and uh, there's a bit in the book actually that I talk about that people around me started to get uh, rewarded for loyalty. Mm-hmm. And so, in certain companies, you know, some some don't have a massive budget for any celebrations. And in my company, you've got a balloon that celebrated that you were there for like a decade fucking hell and so sometimes i saw the sweat and tears exactly yeah, right and um i was i was looking around and there was stuff like these balloons were just deflating in the corner of the office <laughs> right and i was like oh is right. that a message and I, was yeah. like, I don't i don't want my life to be like this deflated yeah. foreshadowing at its finest <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That man's um, personality and ego is just dying. Yeah, oh, I just yeah. Every day a little lower. Him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah, that, so those these things were starting to happen around me, and and I started to wake up a little bit. So the more I sold my stuff, my physical stuff, the more almost like my path became a little bit clearer, my mindset became clearer. But I started mm. to question a lot of things. You know, why am I doing this? Or why am I doing that piece of work? So I had to you know 
ask why quite a lot, really like a toddler again, become really inquisitive and go, this piece of work I'm doing adds no value. Why are we doing it? Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where it had just been done for years and years and years. And so I started to question it and I started to question everything around me. And then I realized that actually if I stay where I am, I'm never going to be able to achieve any more than what I'm currently achieving. Yeah. So, so yeah, because, so selling my stuff made me feel a lot lighter. So I thought mm-hmm. if, I, if I change career, that also gave me a boost. So mm-hmm. I needed to get out. So, so I did. Sure, but give me a few more of the details then because I want to figure out like what age you're at here. And what oh, I'm okay. trying to do is is move towards this question of what is it? Is it minimalism that like set your course and your path into direction more in line with instinctually what you wanted to do? Or was it just everything else that you're consuming at the time? Different ideas, a little bit of development, getting a little bit older, some relationships you're having, just having a certain amount of time in this company and being able to see that around you, things that you no longer really wanted to do. Because um, what I'm afraid of doing, I mean afraid, but what I think (laughs) might happen is that you can over-ascribe, and I'm being a bit, um, what would you say, provocative here. So Good, yeah, um, go for it. But you could over-ascribe this idea of minimalism as being your North Star. That's yep. what saved me. That's what like moved me on. When at the end of the day, what I, what I uh, am thinking is that it's more like you change fundamentally and minimalism came along with the change, you know? And it yep. like exacerbated you making a successful change. So yep. how old are you when you start working at this company and then when you quit the company and then to now? Yeah, I was 21 when I started, 35, uh, 30, 37 when I uh, when I quit. And I think wow, you look you look fantastic. Oh, you bless have you, mate. one of the greatest heads of hair for a man past 35. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you, mate. Che- <laughs> checks in the mail. Um, just moisturise, moisturising good hair product. That's all yeah. it is. Um, yeah, so you 30, could run a comb through that thing. Seriously, oh, it's beautiful, mate. It's a beautiful <laughs> um, Yeah. It's, okay, uh, so you genuinely spent more than a decade in this company. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So interesting. Um, that, that adds a lot of um, a lot of flavor to it because in my eyes, I was thinking it was a couple of years stint there or something. But you, you really spent like good years there. Yeah, all my youth. Yeah, all mm-hmm. my um, all my kind of learning period as an adult. Yeah. Was um, within the same kind of group of of people and you start mm-hmm. to build this kind of patchwork value based system based on sure. organizational values and other, and other people around you. And it got to the point where it's like, are these actually mine or have I just collected the stuff that's uh, not, but yeah, in answer to your question, I what totally scary agree. thing to face. Yeah. I know. Right. Uh, mm. I, I totally agree with you because when I was um, decluttering the home, I didn't know what the word decluttering was. Mm-hmm. I was selling my stuff off because I needed the money to go traveling. Sure. So there was the why. The why was I needed cash. But as well as cash, I started to get an understanding of the stuff I didn't need. You know, my old, I had like six or seven white shirts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, loads of jeans with more rip than jean in and, mm-hmm. you know, shirts that I'd kept and never wore. And so while I'm untethering myself from my personal belongings, um, that then kind of led into my work and it was only when I was in Vietnam, and again, jumping a little bit, because yeah, yeah. that's where I first heard the term minimalism. And I then thought, oh, right, is that 
that's a is that what I've been doing then this whole time, mm. which is more about you know, decluttering and let go of excess. And I thought, okay, well, maybe that's what I've been doing then. And so from that moment on, I kind of thought, okay, well, let's look more into this lifestyle. And there was only a very few amount of people that I was um, I was trying to connect with, Colin Wright being one, the minimalist, Courtney Carver, um, Joshua Becker. There were, weren't many people talking about this way of life or this way mm -hmm. of being. So I didn't have much to go on. Mm -hmm. And it was all very... Most of it was very westernised. Marie Kondo came along and talked about tidying up. And I was like, but I don't really want to talk about cleaning or tidying up. I want to, yeah. how does this work from a career perspective? How does this work from a real life perspective? Because these yeah. guys were showing me the very clean, you know, aesthetic. Um, and I didn't have that because I wanted, I wanted real life to happen. I still wanted to have stuff i still had a relationship and you know i mm -hmm. wanted all these other bits and pieces but i wanted to try and make it work for me and, and so that's why i've went on this discovery of less is because it's a real version it's not your manicured clean version that you might be presented elsewhere it's um it's been my real life so i have failed a couple of times you know i changed my job and then realised that I just walked into the same fucking manhole I did yeah. when I was oh. 21 mm -hmm. because I was in this woke state of thing. Oh, I've been travelling now. I've got this growth mindset. Yeah. I want to live more minimalist and then just end up doing the same thing that I was doing before. Okay. So I had to go through these, what I call them like pivotal failures mm -hmm. that kind of then you know, moved me a little few degrees and, and do and think, actually, no, I need to move away from a career catching bad guys and become a coach so that's in that so that's what i've become so i'm not sure if that answers your question ryan but yeah the the attachment to the label only came after i realized that i was doing some of the stuff beforehand so yeah well um i guess that that does that does like answer um at least lead to answer the ultimate yeah. question but almost the question before as a man in his late 20s early 30s working in the same company for the last few years did you did you know the whole time this isn't in line with what i really want to be doing or this isn't in line with my true values or were you like quite happy and content there yeah comfort zone mate i was yeah completely unaware of things that were that i wanted to achieve because i thought being doing this job and living where I was living and having that very mediocre life was enough because on the face of it, I had everything that society said that I was to be successful. So I had a car, I had a job, I had a relationship, I had a house, I had debt. So, you know, if you've got debt, you're successful, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, I ticked, yeah. So I ticked all these things off and I was like, but is this it? So is this mm. what's supposed to happen mm. until we retire and then that's it. And so it was once you had started ticking off all of the external metrics that supposedly makes a happy person, you started to realize that there was a lot more that you weren't being fulfilled for. Yeah. 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 So how did the journey start towards that realization? Selling my stuff, man. It was, okay. yeah, yeah. Because ultimately, I needed a we needed a, needed a break. So my partner and I, we talked a few times about you know, 
taking a break from work because we both had you know quite fast paced careers mm-hmm. you know every time we anyone asked us hey how are you getting on you're just like slammed or 100 miles an hour yeah. and these tended to be default responses because we were living it uh, living a life of pace mm-hmm. and the years were flashing by and things were just happening to us so mm-hmm. things like my partner would get ill and she um she had a um she passed out on the tube on the way to work just through exhaustion and stress through exhaustion holy hell what was she doing similar work to you she was working in media at the time so she was doing night shifts so there'd be times when i would get up and go to work and she'd walk in the door and we would tag each other oh <laughs> <So> no <laughs> we'd high five each other um and, and then she'd get back into bed at like 7 30 in the morning and, and things like that oh. and it was it's almost a bit like is this it is this mm. what we're supposed to be doing and and so and so she kind of said should we take a break and i was like but what if but if i take a break that i might lose out on future sure. opportunities that i could never see you know making stuff yeah. up basically yeah um, oh, but but nonetheless it is a real thought i mean yeah, you stepping down yeah. from whatever potential serendipity you could have gotten at work yeah. that's i mean that is a real trade-off you know yeah 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 so we so we kind of we had that idea planted and then all these other excuses and blockers you start to create in your head i can't do this because because you know because mm. of the debt because my job because um, and leaving a job, especially when you've been there for many, many years, is really scary. Really, sure, I really can imagine. scary. And um, so, so that's what we did. We, we, I, I managed to talk my boss into giving me a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which well, it sounds you know, like you earned it. I mean, you were there for well, so many years. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. It's almost like this perk that no one really understands and yeah. um, gets underused quite a lot. And I managed to, you know, look through the, the T's and C's and oh, actually, I've been here long enough to achieved you know to mm. get rewarded by this perk and she was like yeah go for it you know but just to let you know if, if the shit hits the fan we need to get someone else in to cover you so you're gonna i was like okay well you know that's fine i'll, I'll live with that mm-hmm. and um and my partner quit her job mm-hmm. and he was like right we're really gonna do it good on and it then, yeah big risk big risk and we we're like okay right now what shit how are we gonna pay for this <laughs> <laughs> and then that's where the that's when I was, there was a moment, uh, and I remember it really vividly, Ryan, is I was, mm-hmm. my partner was um, working one of a, uh, working a weekend, and I was sat in my front room in my flat, and I thought, right, what's the best thing I need to do to research where we're going to go? Mm-hmm. But because everything was so overwhelming, like the cost of flights, places to go, designing a travel itinerary is a job in itself, right? Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this is just too, it's too much. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get all my CDs out and I'm going to download them onto my laptop and then I'm going to put them onto my iPad because that's kind of related to travel because mm-hmm. when we travel, I'm going to want to listen to music. Sure. <laughs> I don't want to take all my CDs and stuff. And I was looking through my CDs and I'm like, shit, there's a load of crap here that I never listened to. So much rubbish that I bought over the years. Mm-hmm. Even like doubles. Yeah, sure. And um, I was like, why have I got this stuff? And then what I did is like, I got my phone. And I downloaded the Music Magpie app, um, which scans barcodes and gives you a price for oh, how okay. much. Interesting. And you can basically offload your stuff to this secondhand retailer, and they will then sell it on. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, I wonder how much this stuff's worth. So I'd scan this CD, 5p. <laughs> <laughs> I'd scan something else, like 12p. And I was like, if I get over a fiver, I can get rid of these, like, couple of dozen DVD, uh, CDs and DVDs. And and then that gives me a bit more space on the shelf because mm-hmm. they're kind of all over the floor and stuff. And then I just became a man possessed. And I was like, oh, but if I, if I can get five pounds for all my old junk, imagine how much more I can get if I when I had to look at the books that I don't read. So I started mm. to scan the books and I was scanning <laughs> my computer games that I'd completed 12 yeah. years ago. Um, and by the end of the day, um, my partner walked in and I'm in this in my front room and it's all pitch black. I've not eaten for the day. <laughs> and I'm like, a, <laughs> my hair's all over the place. And yeah. I've got this huge pile of DVDs on my left, huge pile of CDs in front of me massive pile of books computer games literally so i'm surrounded by my stuff like i imprisoned my, <laughs> myself with my stuff and she's like what on earth are you doing i'm like i'm selling it all like a man possessed <laughs> and she goes but why it's all of your stuff it's like i was like because I don't ever use any of it mm. anymore and by the way we've made 160 pounds she's like oh great well that'll pay for our injection to go to um <laughs> vietnam yeah so like, yeah perfect and that's when I realised, you know, I saw the stuff being removed, so my living space become calmer, mm. less stuff in it. It rewarded me immediately, both from a, a monetary aspect and from a mental health aspect. And I thought, oh, I'll see if I can do this in other aspects of life. My furniture started to go, my clothes started to go, and, and before I knew it, you know, about 80 to 85% of the stuff that I surrounded myself with I never used. Yeah, that's that's a wild realization to have, isn't it? And it's quite, yeah, and it's quite a disruptive way of life, you know. Because yeah. when I do have coaching clients, you know, they look at the way I've just detached myself from everything, and and um, it's a really kind of disruptive way of life. And the, the attachment that we have to our stuff, emotionally invested, mm-hmm. you know, we've got a lot of sentiment to our stuff. It's all stuff that we believe that we own. So because we own it our sense of ownership becomes, uh, we must keep it because it's mm. ours. But actually over time, what I found is that the stuff started to take ownership of me. Do you, do you apply the, the 80, 20 principle to things that you have? No, I don't apply any principles whatsoever. No, I mean, not like, you know, you sort of write it down and make a calculation, but in your head, do you, do you think about it that way? Like 80% of the things you use, no, 80% of the time you use things is only 20% of the things. And then the other 20% of the times you use things is 80% of everything else. It's yeah, like it's no, just I, an argument for you just don't need all this shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I did think, try and think, that there, is there a model here? Or is there something that I should be, is there a framework? Mm. But, but I just I didn't use any frameworks. I just went by, by gut. I suppose one thing I do use is with my clothing situation, um, if I buy a new piece of clothing, something has to go because I can't be dealing with too many hangers. You know what it's like, mate, when you have hangers that are all mm. intertwined with each other, it, you know, it's a potentially a... All right, so what does is, what is the place look like now? Are you are you living off, say, one change of clothes, a phone, a wallet, and maybe that's it? That's all you own? No, I own a, I own a bit more than that, so I own enough. Okay. Um, so there isn't a prescribed number, but, you know, everything that my partner and I have that is important to us on this adventure that we're on now 
fits in our Hyundai i20. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that's, nice. And that's with a dog and all of her bedding and food. So yeah, it's, yeah. um, yeah, it's pretty much, it's living out of cool. a suitcase kind of, um, yeah. and it totally works for us right now. Yeah. So you, you, you just started selling your stuff to meet a financial need, realize yeah. that getting rid of or the, you know, the decluttering, getting rid of all the stuff actually, um, made you like feel good and, and yeah. I suppose put you down this direction of going towards minimalism. So you ultimately sold your place uh, as well, yeah. right? So yeah. is that how you financed the first trip to Vietnam? You just got rid of every asset you owned to get yeah. a bunch of savings in an account. Yeah. Maybe you paid off the debt and then you go to Vietnam. I mean, cause that's a reset. That is a life reset. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a word I use in the book as well, Ryan. Um, it's about this kind of big, huge, reset yes i we, yeah, we sold off our place to ultimately finance this huge trip that we were we were about to go on um but the you know the decluttering of the stuff selling off the stuff it was the that was a catalyst and what i'd found is um i'd started to refine my values again mm. i started to become braver have more courage so parts of other bits of money started to come in you know almost like started to attract itself to me so things like in the past if it, if i ordered something from a company and i didn't get the service i expected i'll just let it go just thinking that well, you know it's it's just the way it is that's mm. life right mm. but that's very, really, very exactly it was <laughs> don't a very, want to make a fuss <laughs> no exactly it's a very british cultural way of being mm. we don't want to you know cause conflict and at the time mm -hmm. Conflict for me was something that I was really, really scared of. You know, I couldn't I argue with anyone because I wanted to keep the peace. Mm -hmm. But what I found is that over time, companies were really giving me shit service at my broadband provider. Um, at the time, out one of the main uh, transport um, networks was on strike, and every train every day when I was commuting into work was late. Mm -hmm. or, or or delayed or on strike and things like that and the old chris would have just gone oh that's really annoying sure but then i've realized no actually i want to stick up for myself so i put um i said you compensate me for my time my stress levels my and i started to get compensation come back <laughs> you know so things like i would you know if someone if a company promised me to deliver something by a certain time it didn't arrive or it was damaged, I'd ring them up and go, that's not the service I expect, compensate me. <laughs> and they'd be like, yeah, you're 100% right, and thank you for telling us about it, and I'm like, no problem. So all these little bits started to drop in because mm. of this kind of slight change of attitude. And I was like, so it was ruled in me financially, it was ruled in me in other aspects of life as well. And then, yeah, the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, was um, selling off our, our flat, which mm. everyone was really surprised about because that's not what you're supposed to do right you're mm. supposed to you're unrooting move. yourself yeah you're yeah. supposed to move up these societal ladders you're supposed to go on the property ladder on the yeah. career ladder but what we want to do is almost jump off this ladder and jump on this big bouncy castle of life instead. yeah um, we're, we're kind of privileged aren't we um in living now that we can do this you know yeah because I don't know if my parents necessarily would have been interested in doing, you know, something that the both of us have done if they had the chance. But nonetheless, it just wasn't an option. It just wasn't an option. Yeah. 
It's like be grateful you've got a job. And that <laughs> and was and that it. was it. That was it, Ryan. And that you was know? the kind of that they were the conversations I was having with my mm. with my parents at the time. And like, what yeah. are you doing? But can't we Why? just reach a little bit higher? Why do I have to be grateful for such the low bar that the rest of society has set for me? You know, yeah. you can really you can reach for the stars if you try hard enough. Well, and, that's it. Uh, There's a metaphor I've been using with a few clients recently, and this is starting to come come out a little bit. Is that People are having different level of conversations now where they're, they're moving away from traditional ways of working and traditional ways of living. Mm. And it's almost like people have wandered up to the top level of this double-decker bus and they're looking around for people to have top-level conversations with, but everyone's still in their car mm. on the surface level. And then some people are just not ready to have that level of conversation yet or break away from the traditional ways of doing things. No. Um, and it's really interesting. Once you find those people on that top deck of the bus, you latch onto them and you um, they become your people. So yeah. A... Something that the internet enables uh, for sure. It's the giant filter of your interests. Yeah. You know, like before the two of us would never have met. There's no, just exactly. no chance about it. Um, but because we happen to have these similar interests, the internet has filtered us towards each other. And That's there it. you go. Um, That's it. So it's, it, it's an amazing thing. Um, but talk about friendships a little bit because you worked in this company for so long in the same city that you grew up in. Were your mates the guys you went to high school with or were your mates the guys you were working with? And then are they still, obviously they're still your mates, but are they still people that you're um, spending lots of time with now? Did the unrooting reset of your life also include a reset of the people that you're hanging around? Oh, that's a great question. Um so, yeah, so my, my mates are from college days, so from 16 onwards. Mm. Yes, we still have a very um, deep, deep connection. Funnily enough, they all did this uprooting when they were younger. Oh, yeah. I'd, they'd all done it. So in our kind of peak time when we were like you know, 20, 21, 22, they'd all gone off and done this for like a year. So doing when it was supposed to, when they, when you were young, you know, one from went off to India, Australia, mm. a couple of friends went off to Australia. And, yeah, that's it, right? And, um, and they came back a year later mm. and it's almost like, that's an amazing experience that that person has had and they can share those stories. I don't have any stories. Mm. You know, I, at the time I didn't have anything to talk about and they would, we would get together in groups and they would share their travel experiences about people they've met places they've been to and I'll be like well been to Brighton <laughs> um, and, and so they'd already done it and so it was a bit like a decade later I've now finally gone and done it mm. and a friend friend said to me he goes when you come back he goes nothing would have changed apart from you you will look at everything differently mm. but you come back and everything will look the same you'll mentally be completely in a different place and he was right and, oh that's so true isn't it yeah isn't it? yeah that's that kind of found its way in, in the book but um but i suppose over time these different circles and communities my my friendships have grown exponentially so not just my old school friends they are a part of my life huge part of my life but also those people that i worked with that have also broken broken out of that traditional way and gone off and done their own thing um so we've almost got that in common as well mm. you know people like yourself and and other communities that where we we share similar interests so my 
as I'm really privileged and, and honoured to have so many people around me that I, you know, I call my friends and and uh, at any moment I can pick up the phone and, and speak to people and they would offer support, you know, mm. mentoring, coaching, etc. And at the same time, I can text my friend and talk about football and mm. talk about uh, all sorts of other things. So I'm really privileged to um, to have all these people support me and that so so yeah so i didn't lose anybody as such but i gained more so, well um, i mean that's a you know that's the that's a great outcome to have from it you know it's just it's a question that has been really front of mind for me um since i moved to sweden and i don't want to inject my own story into the chat too much <laughs> but basically um thinking about you know how one can one accumulates friends but i've lived in very distinctly different countries and cultures and even occupations where the friendship groups interest, it doesn't overlap at all. And so you're left with this connection that you made over a short period of time, but then you're separated from them geographically, but then your interests also change as well. And you're left in this situation where you have so many friends, but, um, not, but you don't feel like so many great close friends. And it's yeah. kind of a sad realization that I sort of had. And my best mates, my truly my best mates are the same guys that I was hanging out with when I was 14. And that's fucking mm. wild, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah. because I'm very different from these guys um, in all of the obvious ways, but then we're exactly the same in the sort of subtle shared experience ways. Yeah. And, um, you know, when um, I, I would have in your friendship group, I would have been one of those guys where after high school, they, they went away and they came back. Coming back as you've experienced now is a very um, it's a very jarring experience because you you've changed so much because your experiences have been totally different and we are just an accumulation of our experiences at the end of the day. So if I experience different things to you, we're going to branch off different paths. Yeah. And then if all the boys are hanging out, you know, NRL still on Thursday nights, you're still (laughs) hanging out with the same girls. You're still going to the same bars. You're still talking about the same stuff. Yeah. And then Ryan's been over here and he comes back into it. Ryan's yeah. changed a little bit. Yeah. But then you want the, you have these expectations that you wanted the other people to change along with you. So you can yeah. sort of like pick up where you left off, but in this sort of new way. Yeah. Um. But, but I think it's a, um, it's kind of a distressing thing that uh, I think anyone who's experienced it knows what we're talking about, but it's kind of a distressing yeah. thing to go through, you know, and um, it might make you question what you're doing and, and so forth. But I mean, oh, it sounds like you've, um, you know, you've got your, your, your partner, which is crucial to have that like real rock of a relationship who you can change with along the yep. way, um, which is why I'm so stoked for the trip that you're about to go and take on. And, you know, who knows? It's, I hope it's an open-ended trip, right? So there isn't a return <laughs> date or a, even a return plan. It's literally just open, open yourself up to the serendipitous opportunities of the world. And if yeah. you... If you force that serendipity upon yourself, you never know where it can take you. You know, it's like these amazing stories, like the mutual guy between us, Colin Wright, you know, like he's what he does now. He's a total creation of himself, but it's just come through serendipity. It's just, you know, he just started writing online and then the opportunities flowed in and it just goes from there. You know, you've just published this book on minimalism and you're about to, um, you know, take on an adventure, you're going to be doing these podcasts. There is absolutely no telling what's going to happen. Um, you know, like, I don't know. Um, I've sort of just 
derailed where we were going. But uh, do you have anything no, to say about great. that? No, but it's great. No, that's great. Yeah, wonderful, mate. I'm coming back to a bit about about friends. I think um, it's all an evolution, right? And we all evolve. And ultimately, I think we've got a choice. We could stay connected, or we can drift away and find another path, right? So, I think we're, you know, it's a very, very conscious decision to stay within the group because you you choose to. So I suppose when you go when you've gone traveling mine and come back in, you can choose to go to those bars, hang out with those friends. You can mm. choose to step away, right? So it's all a choice. And um, I still choose to to do that with my my old college friends because mm. we've got topics and interests and we're all still discovering ourselves and still going through life together. So although the conversations might change, the interests might change, we are still all doing it together. Even might not hang out as much as we did before. Mm. We might go out and get drunk as much as we did before. <laughs> but we're still all there together. We know. Sure. I know that at any point I can text someone and they're by my side in in the Mac Bowers. Um and and what you're talking about, like uh, you know, the the travelling aspect and, and, and opening yourself up to the unknown, it's that again, that's a choice because we can choose to stay safe, try and plan everything out, try and plan life. But sometimes you'll find the most exciting and exhilarating things down a road that you weren't supposed to drive down. Yeah. So there's all this thing, true. you know. And apologies, I use loads of metaphors, right? <laughs> so it's a it's a compelling way to speak. It's good. It's a, it's a thing that I've just yeah. picked up. Um, so we we get lost loads of times, right? My partner and I we do do um, road trips, we do hikes, and nine times out of ten we get lost, right? And there's two reasons: a because we're shit at orienteering. <laughs> I can't read a map for love nor money, and um, and and sometimes we think we know better. But the arrow says that way, it doesn't look like anything. Now we're just going the other way. And every time we get lost, there's a story. So you always find your way back. It might take you a little bit longer. But on that way, you have dig a, dug a little bit deeper to go, right, okay, where am I looking now? You know, where do I need to head? Am I listening out for the roads? Just head that way. Um, where should we, you know, taking chances and going different directions? And every time we got lost doing a hike in a national park on a road trip or whatever. Everything was okay. Mm. We always found our way back. But what we did have, because we didn't go the normal way, is we had more stories. And that is what I collect now. I collect stories, experiences over things. And that's what I try and help others with is, you know, it's okay to get lost sometimes. Mm. You always find your way back. Yeah, I think people are, um, everyone's afraid of risk, rightly so. You should be afraid of risk, but overestimate how risky some things are. You know, you talk about this yeah. getting lost. Um, wh- what's the risk, you know, that you'll be a little bit later to whatever your next appointment was or that the hike will go a little bit longer than you expected, you know, or you'll end up somewhere that is a little bit uncomfortable or worst case scenario, someone's going to have to come and get you. Even yeah. the worst case scenario, there is such a low risk on the greater scheme of things that it makes it yeah. entirely worth it. And you oh, can scale yeah. that out elsewhere. You know, you taking this risk to sell your place and go to Vietnam. At the end of the day, worst case scenario is 
I blow all my money and I just have to start again. Now, true, but it's a pretty big downside, but it seems like a totally worthwhile risk to take because then the greater the risk, the greater the upside. So, um, yeah. And that yeah. was it, mate. It, it was, you know, it was a, it was a, yeah, a calculated risk. And that's why everyone that we were spoken to, including my friends, family, etc., like, this is strange. Have you lost your mind? You know, selling off everything, mm. you know, pretty much everything you've ever owned, because this is not what we're supposed to do. And that was what my mindset was like. It was a bit like it was very risk averse. I didn't take any chances, and that's why I got stuck in this yeah. comfort zone. Yeah. And so I had to be more courageous, which then I got rewarded. Um, take more risks, which gave me more life experience, more growth. Mm. I come back and I was like, if I hadn't have done, you know, taken those risks or perceived risks, <laughs> then, um, you know, I wouldn't be doing the things I'm doing today. I wouldn't have written a book. I wouldn't have been able to meet you. I wouldn't have been able to, to you know, to be a coach and support and a mentor for, for many, many others in their own journeys and, and you know, detach from owning a home and mm. being able to, to jump in the car and travel. So, so I wouldn't have done these things. Let's... um. Let, let's let's go let's move the story forward to getting to the point where you've um realized that this like life of intention is how you want to go forward and you start writing a book um yeah. so take so we're in vietnam now you've sold your apartment and you're traveling with the missus yeah. uh where do you go from there yeah so discover in vietnam discover what minimalism is um retrace my steps back and go and that's like decluttering everything I've been doing has led up to this. We get home um, a couple of months later. I turn back up to work, nine o'clock. By 9.30, I've resigned. Oh, good on you. <laughs> um, Did you know that beforehand or was that a bit of an impulse on the day? I, I went in asking for a huge pay rise. Okay, nice, yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, now clearly I've got all this experience of traveling gives you so therefore my value this is coming back to i undervalued myself a lot because mm. lack of conflict didn't want to you know didn't want to offer too much i come back completely renewed you know this is <laughs> like i was chris love it 2.0 mm. and actually now to get me i value myself a lot more so give me what i deserve mm. which they're like well, people just don't do that. You just go up, ask for a pay rise. I was like, all mm. right, cool. I'll find someone that does, you know, value me. Mm. Ironically, by the day I left, they did offer me, but I had already in mindset that I'd gone. So yeah, so um, oh nice. So when, hardball <laughs> tactics worked. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so I went and um, changed jobs. At the time, because we still didn't have a place to live, I was me and my partner were living with my mum and dad, mm. and. Then I realised how cluttered their house was. There's only two of them living in this four-bedroom house, but all the rooms were filled with stuff. Crazy. So I help. I know. So I helped them understand what decluttering and having a little bit of a minimalist mindset was, and and they eventually came around to. Did they? Off. You managed to oh, teach old dogs new tricks. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> my mum had this old bag of stamps that she'd kept from her nan who passed away a couple mm. of years ago. And I was like, what are you going to do with these stamps? She's like, I don't know. But because the sentiment, the value. Yeah, was... sure. So the sentimental value is strong though. Oh, huge. Yeah. So yeah, so we made a bit of a breakthrough there and that's, you, you kind of get all those stories in the book. I mean, there's about my dad's vinyl records and, mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, but ultimately it gave me 
more time. I, you know, because I wasn't as busy as I thought I would be, and I was just gave me time to absorb, listen to thought leaders, and learn more, build these this kind of scaffolding of new ways of thinking. Um, because I'd gone travelling, came back, my friends are interested in why I'd sold everything, why I mm-hmm. changed jobs, why why have this huge pivot in life. Why are you being different? <laughs> why are you said well great right? why are you being different? Society yeah. was rewarding you. Why are you being yeah. different? So I was telling this story to groups of friends. So I'd go around the house, we'd go for drinks, and they were fascinated with this story. And so one of my friends said, You should come to my company and do a talk about it. And I thought, what, as in get on stage and speak? And she's like, Yeah, yeah, honestly, because everyone has stuff. We all you know struggle to let go of things and I think it's a really good story I was like alright cool so I went and did that mm-hmm. and afterwards I had a queue of people behind me wanting to ask about how I got rid of shoes and things like that and so, telling me so they're bizarre right. isn't it that's the serendipity it's, for you right there and it was and I was like this is this is really weird like yeah. people really resonate with the story you know I did a few more of those in, in different organisations and you know, people kept saying to me, you should write a book about this. I was like, nah. I was like, no, because, you know, I failed English when I was younger. Mm. So I had that label that went back to, I was like 16, 17, that you can't write stories. Yeah. And they're like, no, you've got something that you should write a story. And there's only so many times that you can, you hear this and then, well, okay, I'll give it, give it a crack. So I opened a Word document on my laptop and I just started to write down this story and the words came out. I used the pictures of, on my phone of traveling to almost make that a pivotal part of the book. Mm. So there's bits in there when, you know, about San Francisco, about a trek in Myanmar, about you know, discovering minimalism in Vietnam. And and it all started to come together. And I was like, wow, this really is an interesting, I'm quite interested in this story. Mm. <laughs> I've lived it. Got an editor. An editor looked at it and said, got something something here it needs refining because i've never written anything to this length sure yeah i can imagine Uh, exactly and um and so having a fresh pair of eyes to look at it and going that story is amazing Mm. tell me more give me more detail what are you feeling what are you smelling seeing Mm. so i've become quite descriptive without losing my personality um so i didn't want it to be just book where people would look at it and go, but that doesn't sound like you. you you're, you're using words you never normally use. And so I had to put my personality in it. And it's almost like I was retelling the story to myself again and writing it down. Mm. And 18 months later, here we are. Um, right on. So the uh, trip to Vietnam was 2017, 2018 or? Yeah, 2017, yeah. Yeah, okay, right. And so you are still in the throes of like the next step of that journey. I mean, yeah. you still, you don't own any apartment, any, any properties. Yep. That's correct. Okay. And so that's why you've, okay. So 18 months, you went from inception to publishing. Tell me a little bit about that process because you said you got an editor. I presume you, yeah. you hired an editor or uh, yeah. how, how did this process work? Yeah. So I was, I was still really, really naive and novice to, to all of this. I started to read some blogs. So very, very, you know, you can get advice and information freely available. Right? 
you know, we're in the information age. Oh, for sure you are. I just want to say a quick thing about that, actually, because I see, I just want to call out some BS. I see so many snake oil salesmen like selling their courses, right? Just taking advantage of a big audience. A lot of people who haven't taken the time to, you know, to do or to do their own research, because basically... Um, like I saw, there's a, there's a course it's, I always use this as, use this as an example. He sells a 500 pound course on teaching people how to be better readers. Right. Okay. You know, and, and, and I just can't believe it because, you know, and then there's other, there's a really famous who sells a, I think two and a half thousand pound course on how to be a YouTuber, which has value to it as well. But basically it's all of that information is free. All of the information yeah. is free, you know, yeah. uh, just imagine as podcasting becomes more popular, the amount of podcasts are going to be to how to make a perfect podcast. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you put two brain cells together, you'll figure out how to make a podcast. It, it, it's not down to the tech or setting it up. It's like, it's the guest, you know, it's the host, but, but nonetheless, I just wanted to yeah. make that, that, um, no, that but no, because, but it's a really, it's a really good point, right? Because you're saying, you. you know, you can, you can, you've done your own research here. You know, you're yeah. reading the uh, the minimalism blogs online or or other blogs online, figuring yeah. out how to self publish. Like, yeah. you can do it yourself. All the information's out there. Yeah, the, the the stumbling block for people is yes, information advice is freely available in the information age. The problem is, do people actually show up and do the things that they're reading? And sometimes when you put a load of money down or an invest you are more uh, you're you're more emotionally invested in the thing that you're buying mm. so so yes you can someone can give me a book for free i'm like yeah i'll read it no problem and then never get around to reading it because mm. i'm not really invested if i've spent a hundred pounds on this book i'm going to read it <laughs> that's spent, true yeah the, the buying the accountability and, yeah and also people want stuff now we're in the now now culture and yeah. people want help if you can promise the, the answer, then some people are willing to really shell out for it. Yeah. So, so there is a, so again, I, I agree with you. There is a case for those, um, those individuals to offer that service. And if people want to pay for that service, that is their choice. And it's their, mm. um, their desire to get things done really quickly. Yes. It's probably a short term fix, but again, everyone's, you know, people listening who are adults, right. They can choose mm. to, uh, invest. For sure they can. <laughs> no, for sure they can. Uh, it's just me uh, being a little bit cynical about it, you know. But that's a good mindset to have, though. Yeah. It's that, it's that why. It's not asking why. That, why do I need to invest the money? And, and again, coming back to the book is I was, you know, I had that kind of cynical mindset. I was like, do I need to pay to go on a course on how to write? Mm. Again, I pondered that and I was like, well, I'm going to give it a crack on my own first. Which one did you do? I didn't do any. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Yeah, give it a crack in your own run. Um, and it got to a stage where I'd, I'd written maybe sixty thousand words, and it was that then again gut feeling I knew that I need someone else to look at this because sure. some of the stuff in there is all right, mm. but all right wasn't good enough. Um, so I just went on to Readly and and asked a bunch of editors. You know, I've got this project going, and is anyone interested? Can they help me? And at that point, I was like. I need to invest in ultimately invest in myself because this is a product that I want to put out and a story I want to tell and I want to make it the best I possibly can. Mm. And sometimes the best way to do that is get out of your own way and pay some money to an expert. So, so my editor is, a, is amazing. He's 
highlighted a bunch of things that I would have never have seen. Sure. He had amazing ideas that I would never have come up with. And and also told me where to stick it sometimes when he, mm. when I when my, when my writing got really off. Um he goes, This don't sound like you. This this whole page can go. And I'm like, dude, but I've spent a whole week on that. And he's like, it's crap. He goes, it's yeah, absolute Oh my tosh. god, that must be tough. <laughs> and and, you know, I really kind of, I enjoyed that because I was like, ultimately, deep down. itself, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Decluttering the words. And ultimately, I knew, um, but I was just too, sometimes too proud to kind of delete my own words. But yeah, he, he was like, no, get ditch that. You don't need that. You're mm. waffling here and all that stuff. So, and then it became the decision. I was like, right, so what do I do to get this out? And um, traditionally, you would go, you try and approach a publisher. Mm-hmm. or an agent but because this the way this way of living is quite disruptive i was like does the book's values itself and my values align to giving everything that you own to someone else to sit on it for a year to call the shots to you know it's basically take over really mm. and it didn't align and i was like well i'm gonna see if i can do this myself self-publish um so there's pros and cons to it you know there's a lot more work you have to do Sure. Yourself. Um, less again, exposure. You less exposure. So you can choose to go down that route. But a lot more people are choosing to do that now because mm. you don't get caught up being one of 150 other books that that publisher is focusing on. You know, right. you get to focus on your own. Yeah. You get to control when it comes out. You get to control where you, uh, where you make it available. And, and who knows, maybe in the future, Ryan, I might, you know, go down the traditional publishing route but mm. i wanted to give this a go first and see how we get on right on so um so far like so i wonder how, how, do you just do you just sort of print to order essentially like is that how it pretty works much. yeah okay. pretty much yeah and, pretty and are, much. You on, are you on amazon selling hard copies as well or yeah yep. okay. so there's ebooks available if you if you like the digital version mm-hmm. uh the paperback version is available if you like to hold something in your hand. Yeah. Um, and then later on in 2021, there will be an audiobook version. Are you going so to read be, it? I am. So you'll be yeah, able to hear my uh, my dulcet Cockney tones. Um, <laughs> oh, that, that's uh, cool. That's, that's, that's cool. I, uh, I'm happy to hear that you're reading your own book. I kind of wish even sometimes, because uh, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, I actually listen to more audiobooks and I read physical books. And sometimes, even though it's nice that you get a professional to voice it you kind of want to hear the um uh the unprofessional voice of the author sometimes yeah. you know because it it's adds the, a character the, to yeah it. exactly it's the again it's, i think authenticity is keeps coming back and a lot of people that i've been speaking to recently they they keep mentioning about this authenticity of the book and and myself as an individual and you know, i haven't changed you know majorly mm-hmm. since uh, over this period i haven't become this preachy must do advice driven yeah. guy uh, i'm still i'm still a bloke who uh puts one sock on at a time <laughs> i still eat takeaways i still watch football i still yeah. do i'm still me mm. but i'm just a better version than the than me that was five five ten years ago um the the modern publishers, right? Isn't there this this hypocrisy, or maybe not hypocrisy, but I- irony to them? Where, for example, they'll take like James Clear's next book, and 
And the only reason why he sells so many copies is because he has an audience, you know, of a million Twitter followers and a million email list. And, and, and you know, so, and um, iterate that out to any other big famous sort of self-help author. Like they have, uh, their audience is actually what the publishers are leveraging. And so yeah. hopefully you see where they go towards more self-publishing as well. And it can almost get to the stage where, yeah, self-publishing can almost usurp the traditional publishers. Um, because I mean, uh, did you ever talk to publishers? I, I just, I'd love to see a little bit behind the curtain, what it looks like, you know, what type of ownership percentage do you keep? What like percentage per copy would you get to keep? Um, would they have paid you up front? Like how do, how do those economics work? Um, so I, I did dabble with a bit of that and that was part of the decision-making. So I approached a couple of publishers and got rejected and I just thought oh this is just part of the thing you almost like you collect rejections right that's part of your story and mm, mm. um, my editor was a bad honor for for some publishers right and that's it yeah. and I was almost like why does it have to be yeah. um so my editor is very he's very in with a lot of traditional publishers and that mm. was the route we were going to take it until I kind of said no no, no let's this is a disruptive book let's uh, <laughs> let's disrupt the industry mm -hmm. and but because I'm first time author, I wouldn't get too much of an advance, maybe a couple of grand, a couple of thousand. Mm -hmm. And then up to, which is up to 10% of any royalty. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, and that's a, so that you're, so that, so the publisher's taking 90%, 90 of, yeah. of my life, basically. And I get, but you know, ultimately the, you know, the money's not, the point in all of this for me um it's all about the, the story and the, and the message and and i i can see that a lot of people we, we as a society can live a lot more happier with less mm. we're just so consumed by by things you know o, you know overwork and consumerism and things like that and you know so hopefully this message gets out and, and supports people that's the ultimate aim of it mm. but um but yeah when i was kind of looking at it and my, my editor would say to me, oh, if you send it off to a publisher today, it might come out in 2023. And I was like, well, isn't that a bit late? Because <laughs> <laughs> ultimately the story would, you know, the story is, is coming out now as we hopefully, Touchwood, start to move out of a pandemic and, yeah. you know, return to a new way of living in a new life and mm. hopefully this book is going to be your companion to looking at around your life and going yeah you want it out there now ultimately so, beginning of 2020 would have been perfect right that would have, uh, have been great because yeah. we've spent a lot of time indoors yeah huge with transition the, period yeah yeah with the stuff that we've decided to keep for so many years because mm -hmm. you know let's keep that board game because just in case we're stuck indoors you know, or the electricity goes out. Yeah, we'll get the board game out and play it. So this was the perfect time to do that. So if you haven't done that, are you really ever going to get that board game mm. out? Mm. Or ever going to re-wear those 3D glasses that you got from the cinema that you decided to take home? Because <laughs> next time you go, yeah, you're going to take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a great opportunity now for everybody to just stop. You know, get off the hamster wheel and just stop and reevaluate what's important now. You know, is it still um, the uh, you know, all the china and cutlery that I've not used? You know, do I save for special occasions that I've never used? Mm. Um, is my job still fulfilling? 
Mm -hmm. Why am I looking for something else? And we're just about to start to look at our lives now. And so mm -hmm. that's why I wanted this book to come out now to, you know, to help people give them that nudge to go, you can get started whenever you want. Mm. You know, you don't have to wait to go through a massive trauma, you know, or to reach a crossroads in life because we've all gone through yep. Yep. some sort of trauma recently and gone through, you know, we're at a crossroads. So, so yeah, so I wanted to get it out now. I didn't want to wait. And um, it's all a big experiment. Right? Sure. You yeah. Know, risk, go back into the risk taking because if I don't take any risks, no, it's, it's a huge risk. It's a huge risk. And I'm like, I'm just stoked for you that you've taken it i think it's such a cool thing to do such a cool thing oh, to do thank you mate um what about like famous minimalists matt diavella and stuff like that have you been able to get in contact with them uh well i, I spoke to colin because mm. um, I, I, I wanted to get some so there's some quotes in the book that are from kind of more mainstream people that uh encourage simple living Mm -hmm. and I wanted to reach out to them A to see if it was okay that I could use their quote and B to see if they would support this project in any way um, Colin bless him is he he's very good at defending his time <laughs> so I've sent him the book he can read it at his leisure yeah. and he's given me his best wishes privately which is mm. which is wonderful um, I'm currently talking to a few of the other kind of mainstream guys at the minimalists and, and chatting to those guys mm. at the moment um about collaborating on on something whatever that looks like it doesn't necessarily have to be around a book but obviously everyone's got their own projects at the moment mm. so i didn't want to disturb too many people and just say hey guys you know what about me yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm a new voice in this community listen to me now i didn't want to do that because hopefully the quality of the, the book will reach the people that it's going to reach yeah you know? And like I said before, it's not about volume of sales, it's not about money. It's just about helping people to embrace less and to to do more and be more with less. So whoever this book gets to, that was who it was intended to get to. Nice one. Um, but it is still a, you know, a physical copy that you want to get into as many hands as possible. Yes. Uh, so I'm thinking for, for good, I mean, maybe you're not familiar with a guy called Chris Williamson, the modern wisdom podcast. So he's no. in your neck of the woods. Um, he's for sure got one of the biggest podcasts in the country and he does lots of episodes per week. Right. So, um, and he loves speaking about, um, it's modern wisdom, right? So the, yeah. the the thesis of discovery of less would easily be something he was interested in. So it'd be worthwhile reaching out to that guy. Thank you, Ryan. Williamson. And he's got a genuine audience as well. So that's the other thing. Um, I actually interviewed him last week. Um, and then uh, there's another guy for the Americans out there, this guy, Danny Miranda. He's also got a genuine audience and he's also doing three, four episodes a week, you know? So um, I think uh, for yourself, you know, obviously podcasts, are just the the most effective way to introduce you your brand but then also um the book that comes along with you uh is, you know to to the world i mean i suppose you're writing online and stuff but that has such a huge lag to it um you need to you need to have a legacy url to actually mm -hmm. get traffic into that um but yeah i mean podcasts i think it's great otherwise who knows i'm sure you're coming up with you know nifty you know, creative ways to to, to get the book out there. Um, 
Yeah, and, and ultimately, to... it's just it's just one part of the uh, you know less less is progress is a website and where you can kind of for those who are listening can kind of reach out and um, and converse and, and get involved in there's loads of free resources on there that people can mm. use and stuff like that. And but ultimately, the book is is one way that people can help themselves. But there are other things on on the um, within less is progress that you can choose to engage with. So it's almost like this this structure for everybody. So if you've got ten pounds, you can grab yourself a mentor by getting the book. It's the cheapest mentor you're ever going to get, right? <laughs> um, but also, if you want, you know, one-to-one support, we can do that too. You know, you go up the price. If you want to get me to come into your organisation and talk to thousands of people, I can do mm. that, mm. and I do that as well. So there's, there's basically there's stuff for everybody. You know, sure. I don't uh, pigeonhole anyone, so or any any demographic or any community so there's stuff for everybody there's free things there if people want to stuff read stuff for free there's the book there's the coaching there's the speaking there's mm-hmm. the workshops so all of that stuff is uh, is available so the book is just one one arm shall we say of um of the of the offerings for for, for people nice um, I wanted to introduce this idea to you, I'm sh- um, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, but nonetheless, it's the idea of via negativa. Uh, have you heard of it? Oh, never. Um, this is interesting. Okay. So it's from a, an author called Nassim Taleb, um, who writes exclusively about risk, randomness, probability, uncertainty, things that I'm really interested in, as you might have yeah. been able to tell. But yes. <laughs> this idea of via negativa is addition via subtraction, right? You improve via removing and the thesis is precisely in line with the discovery of less he uses the example of a smoker they become healthier by removing the cigarette you know um your place becomes cleaner by removing the clutter um but it's a it's a it's a fun little mental model that you can sort of think of at times like you can apply v negativa to 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 most you know what 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 is the big stress in your life remove the stress you improve the health you know addition via subtraction Oh yeah! Oh, I love I love that. I've never heard it that way. It said that way before, but I think I might use that moving forward. But it's another way of um, describing less is more, isn't it? It's it is the, for sure. You know, if you um, right, it's exactly what you said. If you remove the stuff that's getting in your way, you're better off. You're better off. You're going <laughs> to yeah. carry on. So um, yeah, I love I love that saying. Thank you, Ryan, for sharing. That's great. <laughs> um, well, look, mate. I think um, we've done a good job at covering your story right but obviously there is nothing ever that can uh supplement the original text itself so you certainly need to get out there and read discovery of less uh to my audience there's a few listening so don't worry about that there's no one here there isn't no one here but there is definitely a few listening um and uh yeah thanks so much for giving me an hour of your morning i'm yeah i'm very very encouraged by your story. I think it's amazing, and especially what you're going to go do now as well. You know, you're just uh, opening up your your you know having an having having an open schedule to the world almost, or just having a um, opening up yourself to the infinite possibilities of the world. I mean, there is nothing more exciting or adventurous than that. And you know, who knows how it's going to manifest, uh, but nonetheless, very 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 cool. So, oh, thank cheers. you, and thank you, Ryan, for for, um, for hosting and, and and sharing this time with me. It's been wonderful to to chat with you. And yeah, exactly what you're saying. You know, it's being aware and alive to opportunities in life, you know, whatever that means to you. You know, there's there's opportunities everywhere. We've just got to be mm. alive to them. 
And the good thing is, if you make your mind less cluttered, you make your surroundings less cluttered, there's more opportunity that you will spot an opportunity and do the things you really want to do, go to the places that you really want to go to and achieve the things that you really want to achieve. So, um, so yeah, so I'll leave, I'll leave you guys with, with simply that, you know, less is progress, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, feel free to read, read the story discovery of less, which you can get currently on Amazon. It will be available on other platforms later on in the year. Read the story, enjoy it. And, um, and reach out to me and I'd love to, to connect with, with you guys. So thanks again, Ryan, for giving me this platform. Wonderful. Enjoyed it. Mate, cheers. Cheers. So the book is Discovery of Less. The website is lessisprogress.com. Wonderful. All right. Fantastic, Chris. Um, take it easy. See ya. Take care.